Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Miranda Ayim podcast. I'm Miranda Ayim, a two-time Olympian with Team Canada, and today I'm joined by Stu Singer. Stu is a sports psychologist with his doctorate in sport and performance psychology and his master's in counseling. He is also a mental performance consultant with his company, Well Performance, and works with teams in the NBA, WNBA, NCAA, MLS, NWSL, all of those acronyms, and he is just a great, genuine, passionate person. In today's episode of the Miranda Ayim podcast, Stu and I discuss the main mental stumbling blocks for high performers. We talk about the similarities between high performance coaching and executive coaching. We also talk about the role of awareness and acceptance in becoming a better performer and a better person and so much more. As always, if you enjoy this conversation and take some value of it, please consider taking a moment to like, comment, subscribe, or if you feel that you have a friend that would benefit from today's discussion, go ahead and share the link with them. It's always great to share what we learn and what we know. So thank you for investing your time with me here today. Now let's get into the conversation. All right. Well, thank you, Stu, for joining me today. Absolutely. I'm super excited to talk to you. I'm so excited. Uh, just because you, every time we talk and chat and have a discussion, I always leave energized just because you're <laughs> such a, a genuine, passionate person. And we always touch on some interesting subjects as well. So I'm sure that mm -hmm. anybody uh, listening in will, will have um, some pretty good uh, takeaways, I'm sure. Awesome. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. So just to get started, I'm wondering for those who don't know you, if you could give a bit of a background about who you are, where you're from, and how you came to do what you do now. Yeah, well, um, I am um, by um, training and trade. Uh, I'm a performance psychologist, so uh, I have a master's degree in counseling psychology and then um, finished my uh, doctoral coursework in, in performance psychology, sports psychology, um, and then have been fortunate to do this work at the, um, you know, the division one collegiate level and then the professional level uh, in, the, in the WNBA and the NBA, um, and then with individual clients in um, you know, literally across the world in sports across the world, but, but a lot in, uh, you know, MLS or NWSL, um, you know, Olympians, um, you, you name it at this point, I've been able to, uh, somehow jump on the coattails of a lot of really wonderful people and, and, uh, some amazing people. And, um, uh, so that's that's the work. Um, I live up in the Boston, Massachusetts area, originally from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, grew up uh, as an athlete in, in an athletic family, uh, in a family that owned a sporting good business. So like sports were at the core of who we were and what we discussed and what we did. Um, and, you know, pursued sport as far as I could take it, I guess, had a pretty significant back injury that uh, in high school that that really um, 
you know, started with a herniated disc and, and really, um, I think at that time, I didn't necessarily realize how much of a toll it took on me mentally, but it did because I, I felt my body um, becoming limited. Um, and I think that was part of the, you know, kind of the start of it. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, I had a high school coach who gave us a handout um, on um, visualization, which at that point I had never heard of anything um, around sports psychology. So it was very eye opening and I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, and, you know, it kind of stayed in the back of my mind. I, I thought that I may want to coach one day. So I was very into the idea of coaching and and then when you combine coaching and, and my, my counseling psychology background, it, it just kind of all of a sudden led me to be more interested in um, the psychology of performance than maybe even, um, you know, the X's and O's of performance. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I didn't know that you started this road with this injury. We've talked before and I, and I mentioned that mine was also a, a back injury and kind of left me right. reeling yep. like, what's going on here? Um, so that's, that's funny, the similarity. And also my first introduction to this world of, I guess, strategies and techniques, specific uh, technique um, to um, mental performance um, was visu visualization, because I think that was one of the things that started getting the most mainstream attention yeah. when this whole world of mental performance started opening up was the yeah. visualization. A lot of top athletes were talking about how they, they visualized either their swing, their shot, et cetera, et cetera, and, and how those are literal mental reps to, to lead us to, to being a, a better performer when that actual moment comes. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering for a bit of just of a more background of what you do on a regular day-to-day -day basis. Um, you work with a lot of athletes and high performers, like you said, what are some of the common struggles or challenges that you you tend to work on with them or you see that they are kind of trying to surmount? Yeah, I mean, I can break it down. It's it's funny because the, these things have become core to my work, but I, I, I can say like there are three things that will encompass almost everything that I, you know, see with athletes and work with on athletes. One is the inability to stay present um, when the mind wants to replay mistakes and it also wants to prevent mistakes from happening. So it's either in the past or it, it's in the future, but it's really, really hard to stay right here right now and just be focused on what it is that I need to accomplish right now. So the first thing I see is a lot of replaying and pre-playing. Um, I see a lot of not being able, and maybe even not understanding truthfully, uh, what we do control and what we don't control. Mm -hmm. And then finally, and potentially maybe the most limiting um, mentality of all, uh, of all people in all of performance is, is that, they, that we get trapped in, in the idea of judgment. Um, and we're very self-critical of ourselves, uh, pretty natural. It's, it's not, it's not 
um, necessarily some weakness. Most people uh, are, are often, I mean, if you talk to athletes and you know this, you, you, you even know it in a locker room, uh, how many athletes are the most critical of themselves? You know, they, you, you, you can say there's a lot of criticism coming, uh, especially, uh, you know, someone that's a professional athlete, an Olympian. There's a lot of criticism that comes from the outside world. But but man, most of the time it's self-criticism that that gets in the way uh, or believing that that we're being judged, you know, so l- kind of listening too much sometimes of the outside world's judgment who really don't know much about what's going on inside um, the locker room and, and inside practices and training. It's, it's a much different world inside than it is from the outside. And then finally, in comparison, um, there's a lot of, you know, well, uh, you know, yes, I'm good, but I'm not as good as that person. Or yes, I'm, my mentality's, you know, okay, but wow, theirs is amazing. And, um, or they're just getting more than me. And why are they getting more than me? And why does the coach pick on me, but not on that person? And there's so much of that. So I, I can tell you, I will bet you that 90 to 95%, if not higher, falls in within one of those things, if not a combination of those things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's fascinating how, as you were going through all of these things, of course, they apply to high performers, but 100% they apply to us just going about our everyday life, just going into the grocery store, probably. Uh, comparing, judging ourselves, you know, and that's just an example, but um, we just find it at a a heightened level because we're often in situations that are either time intensive or um, very fast paced, intense. You're literally getting hit. Your your hormones, everything is pumping. Um, So you're dealing with a lot of things at the, at the same time. And sometimes you don't even have the space to realize and react appropriately to, to what's going on. So it's, it's interesting that that second point that you made, especially that sometimes we don't even realize you were talking about control. We don't realize what is in and outside of our control, but sometimes we don't even realize what we are feeling in that, that exact moment uh, to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wonderful point that you're making, you know, I've, I've started to do, I should have probably mentioned this. I've started to do, um, some executive coaching, like working with, with business leaders out, you know, and there's nothing that I do with them. That's outside of what I just spoke about. So the whole world is performing. We perform in every single role that we are in and everybody's in some role. Um, athletes, I think, because, you know, we're doing it on the world stage. Everybody can see that, but every piece of that is, is in all performance. Um, and so it's, it's a great conversation starter almost that, you know, because people watch an athlete in the big, these big moments, what do they have to do? And so it's a nice conversation starter to, but it, at, at the end of the day, there's, there's nothing really different uh, about, you know, your mind being, you know, an Olympian and a professional athlete and, and the executive or the mom or dad somewhere, um, the brain is the brain. Um, and in consequential moments, it tends to do the same thing. Um, you know, you just are in a profession where you must figure out how do I, how do I manage this? Because it, there's a lot of attention uh, at all times. And 
Um, so, but, but you bring out a great point that, that we, we all have to understand these things. Mm -hmm. So if we're at a place where a, a moment of insight creeps in and we realize we're dealing with some of these issues that you uh, laid out for us, we are trying to stop replaying and pre-playing different situations. Um, what is, what is the way that we kind of prop the door open into exploring this mind or employing some strategies of, of helping us sort through those things? Well, one of the things that, you know, we, we really do have to reach an acceptance of is that what we are not aware of, we cannot change. So everything must start with self-awareness. Like we, we have to be self-reflective or we cannot change um, because it's, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's, it's easier to always point the finger and say, well, it's the coach, it's my teammates, it's the team, it's the environment. It's, you know, and I'm not saying that all those things also can't be part of the picture. In fact, they are a massive part of every picture, but that's the, that's the easy part is to, is to point out all those things. The harder part is to say, well, where, where do I come into this mix? Um, and what are the things that maybe shouldn't send me in, in, in a negative direction? Uh, but that I'm, you know, I, I haven't done much of a deep dive in to figure out why they do and, and how in, maybe even more importantly, how do I, you know, um, put an intervention in place that allows me to not go into that direction. And so the very first part has to start with awareness. You, you use the word insight. Um, but, you know, we can have those moments just by, you know, an organic moment where, like, wow, what, like, I just realized I'm, you know, I'm part of this. But I think sometimes it really takes some intention, like saying, I want to figure this out. Um, in my experience, um, and you, you may be able to share this, is that often we want to, we want to say that we're okay and, and that we're going to figure this out all on, on our own. We want to keep this part of our world private almost and thinking we can do it. And, and that's fine and, and we should to a certain level. And, and I love that, you know, initiative and that, you know, that self-belief. But it, at some point, my experience has always been the, the top, top, you know, kind of um, point of the arrow uh, performers that I work with, they have this moment where they say, I, I want to understand this better. So it has to come there. It has to start there. Um, and then we, you know, I, I'm somebody that you know this, that I believe pretty deeply in, in insight work and insight work begins in, in my mind with practicing of mindfulness. Um, so uh, we can jump into that for sure. And I, we probably will, but, but to me, first it has to be an intentional, I want to look inward uh, because I, I understand that I can always get better and improve. That's just the nature of what it means to be human. And, and then once we do that, well, what are the, what's the number one practice in order to do that? And for me, it's, it, it, it's mindfulness. I love, we will definitely jump into that mindfulness, <laughs> but you touched on something that I definitely reflect on a bunch and, and try to model my, my life after is just this idea of 
looking within first, because like you said, there are a lot of other things that um, influence the way that our life goes um, or the final result or kind of what plays out on the court for, for my job. Um, but the only thing that is ultimately within our our power to control is what we do. Our, our actions, our reactions, our behavior, our thought patterns. And I think that's a really important and really empowering place to start. If we're in a stance where um, we are looking to what other people are doing, um, it automatically takes the, the power and, and the responsibility out of our hands. And therefore our life is no longer in our hands. And I find that very, uh, it puts you in a helpless position, but I think we, any, anybody I think that we talk to has this incredible energy and some sort of skill set inside of ourselves that, that we can find a way to, to take responsibility and take some energy and do some, some gritty work inside and, and realize that we have what it takes to, to propel ourselves forward or at least um, progress or grow in, in, in some area. And I think that's really empowering and, and hopeful and joyful almost. And, yeah. and I, and I think it's a, it's a very, a very powerful stance um, and place to, to be in. Well, if you, I mean, if you think of human species, we're, we're 200,000 plus years into this, into this version of us, we could go even deeper into it, but, but certainly this version of, of the human species, we're amazingly resilient. I mean, we're, we're, we're amazingly resilient. And if we can tap into that belief, like at our core, we're, we're foundationally resilient, that becomes a really powerful place to think, you know, to, to frame who we are and what we are. Um, and then, you know, but we have all these messages, societal messages that we take in and then, and then the power of social media. And there's so many things that make us say we're not enough um, because of, you know, in, in many ways, faulty logic. It's not, it's not good logic, but there's a lot of it out there. So it's, there's this avalanche of too much faulty information and logic that comes. Um, some of it intentional, but most of it, I would say, um, you know, not intentional. It's just kind of like it's passed down from, from one generation to the next. Um, and, you know, that, that we control things that we don't. Um, and, and we don't take into account the things that we do. Like you said, it's actually a pretty small window of things. So let's get great at the things that we do control because it's not a ton. And, and if we build those, then all of a sudden, yes, the environment will always be difficult, actually. There'll be a lot of things that push and pull on us. But if we build these really foundational core skills, it won't change actually what does occur to us, but we'll become infinitely better at how we respond to the things that happen to us. And that's where our actual power and strength lie, not in the fact that we can change weather, that we can change the, our work environment, that we can change the people that are around us, the leadership that's around, all these different things that do matter, but we don't have that power. But what we do have the power of is 
there are some pretty, um, I mean, I want to call them basic, but they're not always easy. And you know that. Um, but there's some basic fundamental skills that we can practice over and over again. And if we get good at those, it changes our experience to all the things that we go through. And interestingly enough, it'll change our experience and our perspective. And while it won't necessarily change the other people, in a way, it kind of does because you start to emanate something else yeah. as well. And that will change people's perspective of you and their reaction of you. So while you're not out to change the world, so to speak, you might just incidentally change the world in a small way um, just by doing some of these, these practices and inner work that I would love for you to touch on now. So you, like you said, you've been exploring a lot of mindfulness and integrating that into your practice and your work with your clients. I'm wondering if you could explain a little bit about the basic principles. Everybody has heard about mindfulness, I'm sure, but just kind of your approach to it. Yeah. So, you know, just by definition of mindfulness, it, it's, it's the um, non-judgmental acceptance of the present moment. So, so can I sit and, and experience what is right now without trying to label it, without trying to escape it, without trying to change it? Can I, can I be that present to it, um, but not but not need to call it good or bad or, or, or feel a specific way because of it. And so that's the way oversimplified concept of, of what it is. Um, I always try to explain it like this, that it's uh, that there are two ways to experience it. There's the practice of mindfulness, which is five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half hour. I mean, you can, you know, pick the time of, of just trying to get, uh, quiet uh, in the mind and be completely present. And typically what I teach is a single point focused. It's either breath or body sensation or sound. Um, and just try to be there with it. Um, and then when the mind wanders and gets distracted, which it will do, um, you gain awareness of the distraction and you return it to that single place of attention. Um, without judgment, without judging. You don't say, wow, I'm bad at this, or how did I, why did I, I wasted five minutes of distracted mind. Why can't I do this? Um, this isn't working. I'm bad, you know, I'm bad at it. Like none of that. It's just awareness that my mind was distracted and, and return it to the, to the present, to right here, right now, to experience what is with no filter almost. And then there's living mindfully. And living mindfully or, or doing things in a mindful way is to be totally present to it. So right now, you and I are here. So the best thing that we can do for one another and for ourselves is to be fully engaged right here, right now. So anything that we did earlier or anything that we're going to do later is, is of little consequence because the, what happened earlier is now over. What is going to happen is, is out of our control and it's not happening right now. So our best thing that we can do is be together because that shows respect for one another. Um, it allows me to listen deeply to what you're asking me and, and, and what we're discussing and, and I can learn if I'm present with you. Um, and so that's, you know, it's, it's, 
it's the act of being in the moment with the person that you're with. Saying all that, it is meditation and meditation can be a trigger word. Um, and, and, and athletes, you know, we're so living in the environment of, you know, uh, toughness and, and aggression and, and, you know, pain, uh, physical pain, either sometimes applying that or certainly experiencing it. Um, sometimes not pleasant conversations and, you know, people that are not necessarily playing hundred percent by the rules, you know, there's a, there's, it's an intense environment and people hear this word meditation and they think, um, you know, peacefulness and, and I don't do that. You know, that's not what I do. That's not the world that I live in. And so I, you know, I reframe it and I use the word, uh, mindset workout when I work with the athletes that I work with. And I, I reframe it because I truly believe that that's what it is because we're not, I mean, there's zero wrong with traditional mindfulness, zero. It's a wonderful practice. I practice essentially that for myself. I want my family to practice. I want everyone to practice it. But for athletes, I accept the fact that what they really want to know is how do I perform better at the end of the day? And so we frame it as mindset workouts. And what we, what we say is, look, uh, the, the competitive environment is chaotic. It is loud. It is unexpected. You can't predict every movement, every thing that's going to happen. There are too many moving parts. And so how do we learn to deeply focus our attention, deeply focus our attention on the things that matter? And how do we essentially learn how to um, let go of the things that don't? So what do we control? What do we don't? Uh, what, you know, control? And without some level of a practice, just like we practice any other aspect of our performance, without some skill to practice, how are you going to do that? Um, especially in moments of consequence. And so it's mindset workouts. It's the ability to say, I'm gonna zero in on certain things. And when my mind does still, even though I put in all this time and work, get off course, which it will, no matter what, I don't care who it is, uh, I know how to bring it back. And so that's why we do it. That's how I frame it with the athletes that I work with. So every team that I work with uh, and every individual athlete that I work with, I will introduce them to it. Uh, some will love it and run with it. And some will, you know, fight me, in a, but eventually come to it. And others will never truly be able to tap into it. Um, and, but I will never not introduce it. I think about this quite often, especially the juxtaposition between chaos and calm. Yeah. Because uh, oftentimes when we think about mindfulness or meditation, and oftentimes when we practice it, it is like in a peaceful spot, maybe on our couch or a little poof, you know, yes. with maybe with a candle in the background and some soothing seaside uh, uh, sounds, you know, sure. really put us in the mood to make sure that we're really tapping into that calm state which is great to know that we can go to that space and know what it looks like so that we can access it when we need it. But on the other hand, like you said, most of the time when we really need to tap into that is it's utter chaos, whether it's in the boardroom or on the floor 
um, if you're if there's kids running around or you're on the side of a mountain, um, it, it doesn't look at like what our normal <laughs> meditation practice looks like. Yeah. Um, so we don't have the the ease to slide into that and or the space to kind of get into that that place. I, I find I've found it in my career and I know a lot of other athletes and high performers have had the same situation that it's a, a very um, chaotic game like all games are and um, something goes wrong and before you know it, the whole game has passed by. It kind of like mm -hmm. gets away mm -hmm. from you or slips through your, your fingers. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is where I find that the importance of habit comes into play because if you're not used to having check-ins and you're not used to knowing how to easily slip into that state, it's very difficult because there's not really time and space to do it. Yeah, I mean, I would go as far as to say it's it's luck if you do slip into that space if you have not practiced it prior. It's it's actually probably nothing more than luck that that you had these moments where you're like, wow, I I see the moment clearly, um, you know, and and so you're dead on, um, and I you know I think one of the things that that I would say in general is that if you ever hear any mental skills and and uh, you know most of the time a truly trained performance psychologist or mental skills coach will never suggest that any of this is easy, that there's a hack or a trick. If you hear people suggesting that just do this and you'll be in a hundred, they probably don't have any clue what they're talking about. I think, and, and you know, speaking to you, you and I have discussed this before is that people that are in this competitive cauldron environment know that it's just not a hundred percent that I don't care who it is. I don't care how much we've trained. It's too difficult for it to be a hundred percent or even probably close to that. But here are some things that we can, you know, pretty clearly suggest. One is, is that by the consistent training of this method, we change our, our baseline. So if we're a, you know, if prior to ever doing this, we are an eight or a nine out of 10 on the performance anxiety scale going into a, a big game or going into any game, actually, because it's certainly at the professional level, they're all big. They all matter. They all are of consequence. And, and by training consistently, you can change that number. So, you, so while you're still anxious, let's say, butterflies, let's just say, it's a six instead of that eight or a nine. So now we're changing the baseline. And this is neurological. This isn't like the beauty of this training is that at this point, we know through MRI imaging that we know that it actually trains the brain regions that matter in performance. So th this isn't a, this isn't a maybe kind of sort of this is, we know this, right? And so there's, the, there's a neurobiology that we are changing. And then as you said, if I can experience it in one place, what I do know is I can experience it in another place. Now it may be infinitely harder because of the change of what, what's of the scene, but I do have this, I've done reps of this. 
I can feel this. And so, you know, one of the things that I, that I do with the, you know, athletes that I work with is we actually do, you know, some training on, well, in the big moments, I'm out on the floor, people are screaming around me. Uh, the other team may have just gone on a 10 0 run. Um, all of a sudden it feels like they have the, the, uh, the, the right, um, um, the momentum, but, but they've, they've punched the right ticket at that moment. And, and maybe we don't now know what to do. And how do you find that? Like, like, like I need to come to here and now. And so we may do things like literally like just bang, bang, put our feet on the floor for a moment. Literally, it's just a second of grounding, like bang, bang, feel myself right here, right now. Take a big breath. And in that moment, you can zero back in. Wait a second. Stop it. Yes, they just went on a run. Basketball's a game of runs. We'll be okay. What matters in this possession? And we can begin to do that. Now, am I saying that for you know every minute of the game you're going to be there? Probably not. Right? It's a bad. It's a it's a push pull for the entire performance. But if we can gain one of those moments in performance, that may be the moment. That might be the one that we needed. And if we can get multiple ones of those in performance, I think at that point, we're actually changing um, how it's going to go in, a po- in, in, in our direction. Now, I'm not saying we control the eventual outcome by that. I'm saying we just change the course of how it was going to go because we've now found multiple moments where we were able to do that. And we are able to do that. I think that's the power of the understanding. We're able to do that through training. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that we're not going to be in this state all of the time, uh, likely, but we do need to come back to it when things are shifting or getting out of control, or we just need a a bit of a pause. Um, So would it be fair to say that part of mindfulness is creating checkpoints or moments of opportunity for us to to take that moment to reassess? Yeah, I mean, it's such a, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm such an advocate and I hate it sometimes because I feel like I'm, I'm the, the guy that's, you know, going to the well too often, but, but saying that the practice teaches you that I, I've been doing it 10 plus years daily for the most part. And literally this morning, I can tell you easily two, three minutes went by before I was like, oh, what am I doing? I'm not focused, right? So it's such a reminder that that is the way the mind works. Going back to the question that you asked at the beginning, that's awareness. This is how the mind works. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. The mind does not want to stay here. It always wants to prevent danger. That's all it really wants to do. Survival instinct is number one. So what does that mean? If I made a mistake that, that looks like me not thriving, it wants to tell me, hey, don't do that again. That's, that's bad. You can't do that again. Well, where is that going to go? It's going to go to the missed shot. It's going to go to the turnover. It's going to go to the, the bad pass or the missed pass or the mistaking of an opportunity even sometimes. Why did I pass that up? You know, why didn't I shoot that? right? It wants to go there or it wants to prevent, you know, suffering. 
So it wants to prevent the loss. It wants to prevent the miss. It wants to prevent the turnover. That's its design. So we're working against its design to say, we're gonna focus right here, right now. And I have so many people say, I can't do it because they think those moments of distraction are them not, there's something's wrong, but nothing's wrong. So it is, like you said, it's, it's all these quick check-ins all the time that we're doing. And we're even doing that while we're performing. If we feel ourselves just like, man, my heart rate is through the roof right now. I'm, my head's spinning. I feel like I can't you know, create a thought right now. Stop. That's the check-in moment. Now, again, easier said than done, but those are the check-in moments. I think it's important to mention that we're not advocating for a Zen state at all times throughout the, the game or whatever performance. You don't need to be in a perfectly calm state of mind or state of mind would be nice, but arousal, I guess, or, you know, energy level, because honestly, I can't play a game like that. Just right. to send out, I, I wouldn't be performant. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes when I play poorly, it's because I'm, I'm too chill. Um, okay. because my, my person my personality is, is more consistent. So yeah. sometimes I do need to bring my arousal level up a little yeah. bit and, and not too high. Cause then you get into that kind of anxious, um, yeah. fidgety kind of overdoing yeah. things state, but finding that appropriate level to, to be at is also very important. And also getting into a state where um, it's maybe a different type of Zen. Uh, I guess we would call it flow is the, the, the state, especially in sport and in creative work as well, getting into a flow state where you're not um, consciously asking yourself these types of questions, but you are in a state of non-judgment and acceptance and also drawing on some habitual uh, muscle memory for athletes, um, just years and years of practicing the same thing and then letting your instinct and your gut go because you can get in a state where you're over-reflecting and I yes. found myself in these states as well. Yeah. And sometimes you just need to let it go and, and play and trust that you've done the, the work. Yes. So in, in particular, judgment, self-judgment is overthinking, right? So some of those things that I mentioned, I said they, they encompass all of the issues and, and they're like the header, they're the umbrella. And then underneath the umbrella is, is, is something like, um, you know, uh, overthinking it. And, and I love the point that you're making because I, I, that is really, really important is that it is not about being um, non-aggressive, let's say. It's about understanding the exact level of aggression that the moment needs. Mm -hmm. right but it's not about not being it's not about not fighting uh you know whether it be in sport or in life uh in relationships relationships need arguments sometimes disagreement is so it's not about this calm always peaceful but it, it, it i i would call it almost like a peaceful mind which is and I, I mean it like this is the is the understanding of what the moment needs and that I trust that if right now I feel like I need to speak my mind, that I need to speak my mind. And if this is going to be 
uh, an intense conversation, then so be it, right? Because I see it clearly. Take it to the court. I see the lane open up, I'm going. I see a shot, I'm taking it. I see someone cutting, I'm making the pass and I'm not overthinking it because I'm allowing 10 other thoughts to be in that frame as well. That I trust that even if I make the mistake, the miss, turn it, you know, whatever, that, that or, the, or the finishing product, I guess, is, it's not even a mistake, it's just the product, you know, the end result didn't turn out the right way, that I'm okay. I saw the moment, I did the right thing, and, and the result is not guaranteed, but I'm still okay with the choice that I made. I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat myself up over the choice that I made. That's what we're trying to do. We're not, but we're not, I, I completely agree with you. It is not about staying peacefully Zen all the time. It's just being able to be very clear what the moment needs and, and not being cluttered up, up here. That's so true. Making a decision, the best decision that you can given what you know at that moment, and then kind of letting go of the judgment um, for whatever the the result is, because you might have made a, a good decision and it and it didn't turn out well that time. Yeah. It it reminds me of a quote, and I'm going to completely butcher it, and I'm not even sure if I will have the author right. I think it's Aristotle, but everybody credits Aristotle with every wise thing. It was me, actually. <laughs> it was Stu Singer, everybody, um, and it's and he's just talking at. I think he frames it within the world of anger and just knowing that it's not necessarily anger um, that is a problem. It's like having the right amount of anger at the right time, in the right circumstance, to the right degree. You know, it's all about the timing of it because in different different situations, like you said, require different things. Maybe you ne need to have an intense conversation that requires a little more of a harder edge where you would not have that in another situation. So, so that's very important to keep in mind that we're not talking about one state of being. Yeah, can I, I, I wanna attach this to a, something that we talked about a, a little bit earlier because I think it, like that quote actually perfectly does this is, you know, remember I said something about like, we have all these societal messages, right? That are um, just passed down, that nobody's trying to do something bad. They're not trying to hurt us. In fact, often it's, it's our parents, it's, it's loved ones, it's siblings, it's coaches, it's teachers with all good intention. They're just wrong. And one of the things that we do is that emotion is wrong. That, that there, are, there are emotions that we should have and there are emotions that we shouldn't have. And that's the most wrong messaging that because we can't stop them. <laughs> like, they're, like we can't stop them. The good ones, meaning the moments of happiness, joy, things that we of course would like to feel more of. But the, to, in order to have those, we must have the counterbalance. It's just, it, there's no way around this. And, it, and it, so it's matching it. It's, it's like, if I'm angry, can I check in and say, no, I do deserve to be angry right now. And, and that's okay. I'm not angry. I'm not upset with myself. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not bad because I'm angry about this. Now, you may check in one time and go, man, like, I don't think, I, I don't think this is the right thing. What, where, where am I in this? You know, is, is me trying to have this conversation with an edge of anger going to be good for me 
and this situation or not? And if it isn't, then what is my approach? But kind of disallowing ourselves to even have it, have the feeling and then not, you know, and, and think we're bad because we felt a certain way is, is the start of, of um, uh, probably fundamentally flawed thinking, which then leads us down to all sorts of other issues that, uh, that, we're, that probably don't even need to be there, but it started because the, the beginning of the foundation was flawed. There's so, there's so much inner work that can be done over a lifetime. I'm sure like it, it's, it's never ending literally. Yeah. Um, yeah. But thankfully the, this day and age, it's a lot more people are talking about it. We have a lot more resources available to us. Um, I know that you yourself, you have, and you developed an app for yeah. this kind of work mental reps specifically, but it has like mindfulness uh, wound in there sneakily. Yep. Uh, could you describe a little bit about uh, what it does, what, um, what is available on there as well? Yeah, so the, the idea behind it was that, in, in fact, it started all um, kind of by accident, I would almost say, is that I would introduce this, this overview of mindfulness and um, and then in between individual sessions or even team sessions, I would try to get people like download this, you know, download this, download this, practice, use this. And one athlete one day said, Stu, I like what you do when we, when we do this. Why don't you just make an app so we can do this? And I was like, that's actually a pretty good idea. Um, and so the idea behind the app is just uh, this, is that it's about, I would say, first of all, the sessions are 10 minutes. So they're relatively condensed. The first two to three minutes is, is um, you know, what I would call a typical performance psychology topic area. You know, how do we let go of the last mistake? Um, how do we let go of critical thinking, overthink, you know, some, some of these things? How do we manage discomfort? Because, you know, sometimes we have to play through um, discomfort, not we, we shouldn't play through being injured, but we can play through, you know, the, the, the bumps and bruises and, and pains of a typical season. Um, so it's, you know, it's a bunch of these different topics. So first part is it kind of frames the topic and then it goes into, you know, essentially uh, practicing uh, mindfulness practice uh, with the idea of mindset workout instead. Um, and with the idea that every single time we lose attention, get distracted and bring it back again, is like doing a rep. So if you think of distraction and returning to the present as a rep, and that that rep is the equivalent of, you know, doing a curl for your bicep, let's say, you are now building the muscle of the mind. That's really, that's, that's how we're beginning to build strength. And so the the idea is, is that we're not actually going to stay, prevent distraction. And that's okay, because if we, if we don't ever get distracted, then we can't do a rep. So we almost need the distraction in order to do the rep. And so the whole idea behind it is that, and, and it, but it's built really for specifically for athletes. Um, but anyone that wants to get better at the idea of how do they perform in critical moments, anybody can use it anyone could use it and get better from it. And I'm really proud of it. Honestly, like, you know, I, I certainly 
listen to Headspace. I listen to Calm and they're wonderful apps. There's nothing wrong with those. And if that's what works for you, keep doing it and keep using it. Um, but honestly, for what I want to do, which is to help people perform better, I, I, I'm, I mean, I, I know I'm a little bit biased on this, but um, it's as good. I, I think it's as good as anything out there. And it's called the Doso app, correct? I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, do so. Do um, so. Do so. Um, too fancy. So, do so. There's a Latin phrase, non do sor do so, which means I am not led, I lead. And to me, that's what we're talking about internally. We're not going to let our thoughts take us down paths that we don't need to go down, that I always have the ability to lead myself rather than being led by the, you know, the voice that, that, uh, that all of us have that internal narrative that can sometimes be self-defeating. Um, so that's where the, where the, the name comes from. I love that. That's the perfect name for that. Like a literal, beautiful translation of, of what is meant to be going on inside yeah. of that app and in, inside of our head. Yes. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. I also had a mini Eureka moment when you were speaking because we we've talked about mental reps before and I've talked about it plenty of times, but I think I imagined it more of like um, the entire session being a rep and I hadn't really thought about each distraction coming back as a rep and in that. fact the the distraction being good in a sense because yes. without it like you said you wouldn't be able to train coming back so so that's 100%. incredible 100 percent. if you think of us allowing ourselves okay to be imperfect right so we're essentially what we're saying is the imperfection of my mind is that i can't keep it right here lasered in for 10 you know, straight minutes of nothing but my inhale and my exhale. So we're letting go of trying to be perfect. And instead, what we're saying is, no, I want the challenge. I want the moment of distract. Now, we're not trying to be purposely distracted either. We're actually trying to lock in. But when the, when the quote unquote mistake happens, which is that I'm not focused where my focus is supposed to be, I'm going to become aware of it. Uh, lock it back in and I'm not going to beat myself up. That's the exact metaphor for what we want to do on the court. We're trying to be locked in at all times. We're trying to make the right decisions all the time. We're not going to do it. So when I screw up, I'm going to notice it and I'm going to come back to the next possession and I'm going to let go of there. I don't need to bring any additional baggage to that next play. Um, that's everything, right? I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's unbelievably simple and unbelie unbelievably hard, right? It's simple to understand, really hard to do. The thing is that that shift makes it so much lighter, that shift in perspective, perspective, sorry, uh, of distraction being part of the exercise, the mental rep allows you to let go of the uh, judgment that would have otherwise come from that for from uh, ambitious people trying to get better and getting frustrated that we're getting distracted uh, and then we're we're caught up 
thinking about that frustration and the distraction. But if we're expecting it and accepting it, we're allowed to move more easily into what we actually do want to be focusing on in the first place, which was just maintaining our attention on, on what's ahead instead of being caught up in how exactly we are ranking in perfection at that exact moment. There's, there's something that's really difficult in the world, especially of really high performers and really high performance, which is that if I said to anybody, are you perfect? They would of course say, no, I'm not perfect. Is life perfect? No, life isn't perfect. Well, we play a flawlessly perfect game. No, we won't, right? So all those, we're very clear about. Then we take the floor to perform and we somehow create this framework of, no, it has to be perfect, <laughs> right? And, and, and so we can't do this, yet we, we, we then judge the performance based on this perfection, which is what we know isn't possible. And so if we can accept, which you did a great job before of saying, like, we're always on the path towards getting better at these things, yet we will never reach the end of the path. Right. So whether that's physical performance or mental performance, we're always on the path towards like this, like as if there's an end point. The problem is there is no it's not even a problem to me. It's actually exciting uh, that there's no end point. Right. Because it would be boring if, oh, OK, got to the you know, I got to the end and there's nothing more. It doesn't work that way. And it's in the acceptance. That the lightness that you mentioned happens and it doesn't mean you don't care. It doesn't mean you're not going to work your butt off. Doesn't mean that you're not going to be tough when you need to be tough. Like all the different things, like we just have to be able to see it clearly. And to me, that's what we're, we're, we're built. Like it's, it's building. It is, you know, and, and in particular with one-on-one -on -one conversations with my, you know, the athletes that I work with individually, it's sometimes we're going to battle that out. They're going to tell me, no, Stu, like I'm telling you, this is what it is. And I'll say, okay, I hear you. And then, and we, we're just going back and forth until that, that click moment happens. We're like, oh, I, I kind of understand like what you're, what you're getting at here. It's not that I'm not gonna now practice hard. It's not like I'm not gonna try to become the very best I can become. It's just that I'm not gonna hold on to all this baggage that actually ends up weighing me down when I'm performing. You're just telling me to let go of that? Yes. And it's like, ah, that's when it clicks. And like, okay, how do we do that? Okay, well, we have these, these reps that we can do. Okay, that's, that's great. And, and now performance goes from here to here. Uh, and, and none of the, all of the, the, the negativity that we place you know, towards ourselves is actually what's ever motivated us. Most of the time what motivates us is we wanna find out how great we can become. And that's exciting. It's fun, it's joyful, it's fascinating. How great can I become? What can I accomplish? That's the motivation. It's not the, all the, I, I'm not good enough and I'm not valuable and you know, they don't like me and, and you know, they're gonna cut me. Like that's not your motivation. That's a negative space to be using. You don't, and you don't even need it. What you value is, this is cool when I find like I was this and all of a sudden I can do that. And I think you and I 
discussed that when when I think when when you were on my um, IG live that that idea of like I found out how to become better and that fascinated me. And we need to get more in touch with that, less in touch of the negative baggage. Absolutely. I think athletes are especially culprits of this, using these short-term motivators. It's like, I want to get better than that person. And, and I want to be, you know, prove something to somebody I want to else, prove something. Yeah, yeah. To all the haters or yep. something like that, which it does work sometimes. That's, that's the tricky thing. It can be some short-term motivation. It can be energy, but in so many other ways, it's so draining. It becomes some heavy baggage. Oh goodness. We're still working out technical issues over here, but it's all right. Um, but like I was saying, when uh, we really get into the space of this negative motivation, um, it, it, it can, sometimes I've even seen it last throughout a career. Um, and, and that's what makes it, it tricky because sometimes the effects come later. I usually, I see it play out in athletes life at some part in their career. And then they have a rough season or they have a rough personal patch and things kind of come crumbling down, but you, you can't build a life on that. And you can't build a career on that because it's ultimately draining. It either uh, takes its toll on you or it takes its toll on, on those around you as well. It's exhausting, right? It's exhausting is the, is the easiest word to use. It's exhausting to try to do that. And, you know, and think I'm, I'm asking you this question in many ways, like, you know, you mentioned like it can work and I, I always, you know, reframe it or at least think of it like this, which is maybe, but what, what, what would have been the result had you not used that, but used the biggest, most joyous, most exciting version of you? Like you, you achieved, you know, uh, not because of that negative energy, right? In spite of you did. What would happen if you were like as good as what you are and the motivation is this super positive energy. And when I say super positive, I am not necessarily, I mean, I, I think I lean towards being a relatively positive person, but I understand that there are shitty days in life and I'm not like Mr. Like, oh, just be positive through everything. Like, no, if you wanna be pissed for a day, be pissed, right? That's okay. You wanna cry, cry. You wanna fight, fight, like be real. But what is it that you want to achieve rather than what is it that you want to uh, prevent? Right. I would much rather be focused on what I want to achieve rather than what do I want to prevent from happening to me. That's a very stressed out state to be in. Mm -hmm. And again, we're coming back to this mindset shifting yeah. from, you know, preventing to to achieving. And um, I like how you put it that, yeah, you, you achieved this much, but what could you have achieved? And, and achieve isn't a, gr a great word, word um, but. Yeah, what heights could you have gone to if you were in a better space, mind space, like emotional space? How much more could you have given both to your career, but to those around you as well? Like, 
what, what could you have done? And that's the thing that, that excites me. And, and I'm a, a bit of a nerd in this area. I just want, always want to be the best person I can be. How can I improve myself? How can I build? How can I be better? How can I be better to those around me? How can I make the world a better place? Just a small, ambitious goal. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like, yeah, I, I'm be better. Why not? But, but like, I, I don't remember if you and I discussed this, but over the years, I've, um, you know, kind of developed this, I, I guess it's a little bit of a theory, but it, but it's, it's called my two truths. Um, did we discuss that? I don't. And, and so the first truth is that we're, we're forever a work in progress, you know, which goes back to what you said. There's never like, you know, I feel like I have a pretty high level of insight simply because I've done I've done my own personal work, but having these conversations literally daily makes me continue to, you know, okay, wait a second, you know, yeah, I'm thinking about this person, but what, how, how am I applying that to me? So, but I love the idea actually of acknowledging I'll never get to the end of the road. That's exciting because that means I still every single day can show up to this work and learn more, right? That's exciting. It's not I'm bad because I'm not a finished product. It's exciting to think about what I can grow into. But then the other side of it, the, the second truth is the acceptance that what I am today is exactly like I, I just I have to accept that what I am today is pretty much as good as I can be based on what I know. Right. Like based on all the experience, everything that I've ever done to today is what I am. And how could I possibly be more than that if I haven't experienced enough to make me more than that, right? And so it's a, you know, it, it's this like, I'm not there yet. And that at the same time, like, but wherever I am today is actually enough. Um, and if you can balance those two, which some days I'm great at and some days I'm horrible at, um, but that's kind of the, the bigger concept is that, um, the acceptance that I'm not perfect, that I'm not as good as I possibly can be um, with, but I'm going to accept also that today I'm, I'm pretty much as, as good as I can be. And I've gone at it the right way of trying to be the best version of me, but that I know that there's always still going to be more. And, and I think when you can balance those two, that's a pretty high level of, uh, of alignment um, that, that allows me to bring out whatever I'm capable of right now. Mm -hmm. It's a delicate balance, but it's also hard to keep in mind when uh, we're dealing with other people as well, when we're interacting with others, that they are also doing the best that they can with what they know up to this moment in time. Yes. They yes. are the, we're all so much more similar than we are different and yes. we're all doing the best we can, their best doesn't look like your best, your best doesn't look like anybody else's best. So it's, it's always any insight that we have about ourselves can also be applied to, to, to others uh, and, and give us a bit more understanding and empathy when we, when we work um, with others. And just a great point on that is that 100% and, but because we've achieved something. So let, let's say we have grown past something and then somebody else hasn't. 
Don't look down upon them because they haven't done it and don't act like it's easy to make that growth. And, you know, and I think sometimes too often I see that in, in, you know, especially social media related stuff where it's like people are like, no, you just haven't, you know, why don't you work or why don't you, you know, or, you know, you're, you have a negative attitude. Wait a second. It took us years, maybe decades to reach where, you know, the point that that's that we've reached where we've maybe overcome something. And also we don't know what else uh, environmentally was in support of us reaching our, so we're not going to all do it at the same exact time in the same amount of years in the same amount of reps. Uh, so, so have some patience with, with people, um, you know, because they're trying as well. They're trying to get there. Um, and so have some patience and, and some grace. Yeah, I mean, that's the curse of knowledge. As soon as we learn something, it's like we've known it forever. But in right. fact, you know, like two days ago, no, you didn't know that. Right. So, uh, understanding that, um, like you said, people may or may not come into that that piece of knowledge and, and, and that's all right. But you also didn't. And people were looking at you the same way, maybe 10 Absolutely. years ago, you know, like, why doesn't she get it, you know? So I, I love reminding myself of that uh, and um, having conversations like this to, to kind of get into that. We started with mental performance and mindfulness, but now we're getting into all these other things when it's, it's, it's all connected, really, I think, when you're, when you're striving to become better, like I like mentioned before, that you can't help um, but stumble upon some of these other things when you're in that honest search for, for something good and honest. Um, George Mumford, you may recognize the name. He wrote the mindful athlete. He, you know, he was the one that originally had worked with the Chicago bulls back in the Jordan days. And then, you know, ended up also doing some work with, um, cause he was friends with Phil Jackson. He did some work with the Lakers and I think really did a lot of introduction for to Kobe for mindfulness and things like that. And, um, I heard him on a podcast and I'm going to, like, like you said, I'm going to butcher this. I, I, I'm sure. Um, but, um, oh crap. How did he say it? That, that basically, um, that we have to give ourselves this, this self-acceptance of that there's this path and the path is going to take what it, it it's going to take what it takes. It, like there is no other way. It's going to take, what it takes. And until you you makes the mistakes, you can't have the insight. And so, um, so you almost have to make these, these mistakes along the way in order to say, man, I, I just don't, I don't want to make, I don't want to keep making that mistake, but without the mistake, you, you can't gain that insight and that growth. So you can't curse it. Um, so it's, you know, it, everything becomes one. I think he finished that quote with to do, um, to be great on the court that, that you really have to do, you have to live great off the court. And it, it was really here, live great. It wasn't, you know, that you cannot you know, have moments of mistakes or that you have to be this perfect person. It was more like, well, what, how are you training your mind to do the right thought patterns in your interaction with your spouse, with your children, with your, you know, coworkers. Like you can't just say, I'm going to do it when it matters in performance because it's too hard. It, it, it's, 
it's life that we have to approach a specific way. And then while we're in the middle of performance, it doesn't feel like we're really changing that much. It's kind of like how we approach everything. Um, and, and so it was a, you know, he, he did it much more eloquently than I just did, but, but that was, that was the gist of the point. I'm sure Aristotle also did it a lot more eloquently than I did <laughs> earlier, <laughs> but I think people will understand. Yeah. Um, I want to be cognizant of your, your time. You've already given us so much, um, but just as we're wrapping up, uh, is there any, where can people follow you? Is there anything that you want to direct people's attention to passion projects? We already talked about your do so app mm -hmm. that people can download and take a look at, but anything else? And especially where can people follow you? Cause you are constantly dropping gems. Um, so all my social media is all at well performance, um, one, one word. Um, uh, so Instagram, Twitter in particular, uh, is where I do a majority of, of posts. Um, I always say that all my posts will match up to the science and my training. I'll never put a quote. I don't care who it is. Um, that doesn't match up with, with the reality of what I know that, that, that is the foundational parts of, of understanding uh, great performance, um, mental performance. Um, so I hope that all of it always matches up with that. Um, I do an Instagram live, um, which, which I was fortunate enough to have you be uh, a guest on. And, and, you know, in many ways, the goal of that, it, it is a little bit of a passion project. I think there's a couple things that I want. I, I want to, um, uh, to be able to just do something positive for people to spend some time in. Uh, and we typically try to practice a little mindfulness in it. Um, sometimes we get there, sometimes we don't based on time, but, um, but uh, so that's one part of it. The other part is to, is, you know, to pull back the curtain on, on high performance. Like sometimes I think that maybe general society thinks that elite performers always are perfect in their, in their mind and that nothing gets to them and nothing ever, you know, creates any self-doubt. And I want, you know, all these conversations that I have are with people that have achieved unbelievable, wonderful things. And yet all acknowledge like, no, I'm man, do I have days where I struggle or performances where I struggle or seasons where I struggle. Um, and so it's to, you know, it's to kind of pull back the curtain on that. And then, uh, lastly, it's to try to normalize uh, these conversations. I think the more that we have these conversations with people that are admired and respected and, and that are working in the, you know, these really high consequence environments and acknowledging all this stuff, the more we begin to acknowledge uh, and normalize the, the, um, these, that, that this is what it means to be a, a person, really. Um, and that, uh, and that we should be having these conversations and there are ways to optimize, uh, these things, but we can until we have the conversation. And then, you know, and then I guess the last part of it is just in this modern era right now with, uh, quarantines and, and, and some restrictions, it's just a way to, you know, stay connected and together because we know that we're better as a species when we're connected. So that's, that's a big part of that. Um, I created a course uh, called Win First in the Mind, and it's actually directed towards coaches um, and leaders rather than, than athletes, because um, as leaders and coaches, we are performing 
uh, and, and which then takes mental performance. And we have days where we're too stressed out, we're too anxious, we're too worried about the outcome and we don't know what to do with it. Um, and then uh, what that does is impact the people that we're, that we're leading. Um, so if we want them to perform at their best mentally, uh, we should understand our own um, you know, triggers and, and, and what are the practices that we can do so that we perform our best. So the course, uh, like I said, is called Win First in the Mind and it's, um, and it's directed towards leaders and coaches. So those would probably be uh, the big things at the moment. Um, that's what's going on. I love it. That sounds fascinating. I'm sure people will get a lot of value out of that course, just like I know a lot of people have been enjoying the IG lives that you've been doing since we started um, with quarantine and all of this. So that has been fantastic. I will definitely link down below for all of the relevant information for people to easily access. But thank you so much, Stu, for joining me today. It has been a pleasure. Every single time we talk, I, I absolutely adore it. So thank you so much for having me on. And, and I, I, you know, anytime you want to have these conversations, I'm so happy to have them. Thank you so much.